Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 19th, the Morbidly Curious Edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Karen Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is eight, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose, and I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's nine, Oliver, who's seven, and Teddy, who's four. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Eamon Ismail, and I'm tired. My son was born <laughs> two months ago. His name is Musa. He is everything to me, but also I'm really mad at him because he kept me up all night last night. So that's that's where I'm starting. Well, welcome, Eamon. I have to admit, I did not expect you to be the new Dan. I was like, he's got to be so tired right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm anywhere close to being Dan, but I, uh, I don't know. I read a little bit of his book, How to Be a Family. And so far, it's not really that helpful. I'd like to just pick up and go to, to Sweden and try some things out. But I'm right now just trying to manage the crying, manage the gas, trying to figure out if poop actually ever comes out of your fingers or not. Oh, my God. Those are my questions. Oh. <laughs> well, these are questions that some of us have left long in the past. So we're happy to have you to... Uh, help our listeners out with as a brand spanking new father and newly minted expert because that's what happens when a man starts something it's like two months in it's like expert um (laughs) we have you here to help out and laugh at people's problems like we did last week so welcome we are happy to have you hanging out with us for a while while dan is on book leave quote unquote And today we're going to be answering a listener question from a parent whose sweet little six-year-old daughter has recently become fixated on the idea of finding a cure for death. Girl, me too. Mm. How can her mother guide her little one through this curious time without crushing her creativity? Then we're going to give some quote-unquote advice to a listener who's trying to navigate her relationship to her own codependent parents. How can she set boundaries with them without souring the relationship they have with her four children? On Slate Plus, for the cool kids, we'll be talking about climate change and how to talk about it with our little ones without making them anxious or afraid. But for now, we're going to start with triumphs and fails. Elizabeth, what do you have for us this week? A triumph or a fail? I am sharing like a really basic triumph that feels kind of huge in that we sent Henry off to his first day of full-time school. The last time we did this was in the Netherlands many years ago. And when we dropped him off at school, no one spoke English. So this already, you know, we were like prepping for the day. But it's it's been this big thing, one, because I talked about last week, like the IEP and just trying to get everything in place. But also... Like up until June, the plan was that he would continue homeschooling and going to a one day a week homeschool academy until we got the call that he was going to full time school. And And Henry takes a long time to make those pivots. And so I wasn't really sure like when the day came, you know, how it was going to be, how the morning was going to go. Um, we we had had a little flare up of his pandas and so have been on kind of like some extra medications, which sometimes makes these things more difficult. But guys, he like we pulled up in the carpool line there was not an opportunity for me to like walk him anywhere because they just a teacher greets them and they just go I did have to park and bring some medicines in but that was like totally separate from him and he just like did it he went 
It was great. We did ice cream yesterday with the one little friend that he knows going to school. The kids from the school come from all over the district. So the good thing is that nobody... No, it's 78 kids from kind of all different schools. So nobody That's really awesome. knows anybody. And they're all outside. And he was like, Mom, everyone is nice. There was a little girl who offered to walk with him to get his medicines. He takes them like after lunch, but before kind of the next activity is to walk to the office. And she was like, I'll go with you. And just like, I that just like warms my heart. So if you're Sadie's mom and you happen to be listening, you've raised an amazing, an amazing daughter who who made my son just like so happy because he was like, I wasn't, I wasn't the only one missing. I mean, I think they were missing like lining up, but it just (laughs) felt great. I know every day is not going to be great, but to have a good first day feels like such a win and just like a validation that we've made the right choice for him and that he's going to have like all these opportunities and to kind of grow and try some new things. So I'm super excited about that. It's not, it's really more his triumph, but as we do here, I'm claiming it as my own. That's so cute. That is a tremendous family triumph. You can't hope for a better first day of school, and there's nothing like a good first day of school to start the year off. This is a huge deal, so congratulations. Thanks, we're excited. I'm sure there'll be plenty of crazy stories about things that have happened at school, but (laughs) for today, we're just taking taking the win of a great first day. And of course, ice cream after, which is always great. Yes, it always feels like a triumph, no matter what. Eamon, what about you? Do you have a triumph? You're at that point where everything should feel like a triumph to you, but probably feels like a fail, but it really is a triumph every single day that you're still doing this. I'm embarrassed to share my triumph because my triumph for the week is like getting a shower and not having to like rush out. No, that's a great triumph. (laughs) It's so embarrassing. But I think seriously, though, one of my biggest triumphs for the whole week, I would say would be we went to the doctor's office and we made it on time. And on time here is five minutes late. So we made it on time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We didn't have to reschedule. And that's a big deal. You didn't, you didn't you know? have any like blowouts on the way out the door. You didn't forget anything in the diaper bag. Like this is amazing. <laughs> it's that insane. Is huge. And we live in Newark, New Jersey. So just to get out of the car, even just get outside is, is a huge endeavor, right? Because it's not just a matter of like, making sure that you're prepared. You also have to look out for other crazy drivers and traffic and construction and all that stuff. So we somehow timed it where we were like, okay, last time it took us an hour to get in the car. So let's just skip, let's plan it out that way. But right before then it was like an hour and 15. So I was like, I got time. Let me wait for that 15 minutes. (laughs) I go and I do some work. I look up and it's like, oh my God, we have a half hour left. What are we going to do? So we have his bag. We have like his bug out bag, which is like everything is prepared we leave yeah. it prepared. And then we, we threw him in the chair. He was crying. We were like, we don't care. We're just going to throw our shoes on. We threw him in the car. And we were we basically skedaddled our whole way there. And, w- and when we got there, the room wasn't actually even ready. So we had to sit there and wait for them to, to let us in. But we were like, what do you, we made it on time. That felt really good. That felt really, That's really good. Awesome. And uh, he, got his, he got two vaccine shots while he was there. And you know, the first one, he didn't even notice. He didn't even cry. We had the pacifier in his mouth, and he kind of looked like something happened. The second one, though, he was like, oh, I hate this. You guys are torturing me. And it was, you know, uh, something that he got over in about like a half hour. So that's another triumph. <laughs> See, I think you're already setting yourself up for so much success because with babies, it really is about these little moments as successes because there's like so much that, like they cry to tell you that they need something, but you never know what that is. And it always feels like a fit, you know, like if you don't get it on the first try, it feels like a failure and just like life is harder. So I think you're definitely on the right like boat by saying like, yes, these little things are triumphs and we're doing these right. And every day we're going to have, you know, some triumphs and every day we're going to have some fails and that's, that's okay. And we're going to like really cherish these triumphs of being on time. I think that that's great. You're so sweet, Elizabeth. Thank you. My daughter is eight years old. We, (laughs) if we make it within, and we're so much better. I mean, like each year it gets better, you know, but like I, to this day, think that within 10 minutes of our stated, you know, appointment or whatever time we're supposed to be there is on time with any kid 
period Mm -hmm. a baby i would say like you should have a 20 minute grace period (laughs) i had to have a word with a nurse at our pediatrician's office when naima was you know maybe going for like her second round of shots and like she was like well i'm not sure if they're gonna see you because i was 11 minutes late i was like well if you see i didn't come in with a nanny (laughs) yeah (laughs) we went to (laughs) we went to a pediatrician where everyone else had fucking nanny i was like you can't just take your kid to the doctor i was so like about that so anyway, um, no, you were early. You were there the day before. What's like, you've already had the next round of shots. That's how ahead you are. So congratulations. Oh, Thank you. I'm so proud of him. So I also have a triumph. So we're three. A triple triumph. Let's go. Triumph. triumph this week. Dan never let this happen. No. So um, he always ruined it. <laughs> Naima's first day of school is yesterday. Wow. She is a third grader, which I cannot believe. I I just in no way do I feel like somebody who's old enough to have a third grader. Like that is just such a like level of maturity and adulthood that I just didn't even know was possible. You know what I mean? Like yours, that's grown, grown. And like, here I am, you know, like in some real adult lady's shoes, pretending to be a grown-up mom lady of a third grader but somehow I did get Naima to school were we on time no but it didn't matter because the LA unified school district was just as prepared for yesterday as I was which was that all they had was an outfit and that was about it so the outfit was on point Naima was was on point Thank you. You can see the pictures on my Instagram. It's just my name. Naima had on a Whitney Houston shirt that she picked out. She's going through a a fallen ladies thing right now. Whitney, Selena, as we talked about on the show a couple of weeks ago, um, and Aaliyah. So it's a little morbid, but it's cool. So she had a Whitney Houston kind of vintage style t-shirt and gold pleather shorts and bright pink (laughs) bands and a leopard print bucket hat and a little leopard purse. And she was just, you know, feeling oh herself. God. She had her hair all out. It was very cool. She had a look for day one. And when we got there, it occurred to me that I was like, right, I'm supposed to have this daily pass thing, you know, because like every day you have to have like a barcode that they scan that like verifies that you're, that confirms that your kid is up to date on their COVID testing. And so... I'm like, somewhere in this, I need to know this kid's, like, school ID. <laughs> I should probably know her school identification number. Maybe I need a login. Like, so I go to the LAUSD website, like, every parent. Like, there's, like, the whole school is outside. <laughs> <laughs> like, looking for their number. Everybody's going through the same struggle. Oh also, God. uniforms were made optional. So I went from, I think we should just keep her in the uniform to, like, why the fuck would we do that? So like that's <laughs> why, why I finally this is the first time we've been in a not like that she has not had to wear uniforms. So we've never been able to like do this. There's a lot of pressure on me now to get these outfits off every day. But we've <laughs> never been able to do this for school. This has always been just like a weekend thing. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's gonna actually wear her clothes before she outgrows them. They're not just gonna like sit there <laughs> while she wears blue every day. But every parent was outside looking crazy. But we got her in within a reasonable amount of time. Her dad was able to get me her school ID number and I got the pin number that he'd been trying to get for six months that they just like gave to me at the school very easily and like because we were equally like not prepared for you know this but I was the one who was supposed to be prepared because I was actually the one who had to do day one but she got in and she saw her friends and she had a good day and as a bonus triumph slash fail I was reminded on the way home from the first day of school that she is in fact my daughter and so like you know (laughs) I I asked her like okay so tell me all about day one you know I want to hear everything she's like okay well so first the boys (laughs) okay so I know not in the way that that sounded that it was but then it was exactly what it sounded like which was her (laughs) talking about like grouping the boys into the besties versus her crush but like I was like this is my daughter this is my child here we are but it was a successful first day she was happy she felt cute she looks so confident in the Instagram photos like that. When you posted them, I was like, man, this girl is she's ready. She is like, I feel great. <laughs> Today is going to be good. Like she just is like radiating that in her in her photos. 
the way she walked off from me, like without all the extra hugs. And Naima is a clinger. If she's not comfortable, she will literally attach herself to the back of my leg with no shame. <laughs> She'll stand behind me. I'm like, oh Naima, God. you're completely visible. Like you cannot be obscured behind me, uh, behind one of my legs. Like that's, I'm not <laughs> as big as you think I am. But she'll do it. Like, if she's scared, if somebody <laughs> makes her uncomfortable, she'll just, like, pretend to be invisible. But, like, she was like, all right, bye. After, like, one hug, I was just still standing there, like, wow. looking for more. So, third grade, guys. It's like that scene from the movie Fatherhood where he goes, all right, she's going to have some attachment issues. Just be very gentle. And he turns around and she's already down the hall. She's way she's having fun. It's over it. Yeah, it, it it's the attachment issues. I think maybe third grade is the point where like the separation anxiety like is just completely mine. <laughs> like yeah. I have it now. Yeah. It's, me. it's yours from now till college, though. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All right. Before we get into our listener questions, of course, we have a little bit of business to take care of. First things first, if you haven't already, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to the show. It helps us out tremendously. And that means that every episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting will show up in your feed. So it's good for you and good for us. You don't have to go looking. We'll come for you. Subscribe today. And if you want even more of our show, you should become a Slate Plus member. You'll get a whole bonus segment every week. Here is a sneak peek of what you could be listening to today if you were a Slate Plus member. Okay, I will admit, counter to everything I said, <laughs> I have not so much as uttered the words climate change to my child <laughs> in eight years. And I was just kind of hoping somebody else could like be the person in charge of like communicating that idea because I have taught her about so many, I've the, the patriarchy and racism and, you know, all these other like calamitous things that we have to deal with, I can't be the one to tell her that the world is ending. What about you all? Are you all like having that? Well, I, I mean, I know you're not having this conversation yet, but I'm curious to know, <laughs> you know what your what your plan not is. Not yet. And not only will you get fun segments like that, but you'll even get bonus episodes of shows like Culture Gap Fest and Big Mood Little Mood. And you'll get unlimited reading on the Slate website without ever hitting a paywall again. So if you want to support us, please, and support Slate, sign up for Slate Plus. It's only a dollar for the first month. Go to slate.com backslash mom and dad plus. Finally, Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content each week, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and much more. It's also a personal email from that guy, Dan Kwa, remember him? Sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. Let's take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Let's get into our first listener question, being read, as usual, by the lovely Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, with COVID, the recent loss of our family dog, and her grandfather's health declining, our dear, sweet, empathetic six-year-old daughter has become very concerned with the concept of death. She has her heart set that she will discover a cure for all of death and tells everyone that she knows that this is her life goal. She gets quite adamant and emotional when discussing her new passion, and it seems extremely urgent to her, which makes our friends and family anxious and sad on her behalf. Sometimes she'll even frantically mix together concoctions in the kitchen or garden in an effort to find the cure. We are trying to give her realistic expectations. Maybe she could become a doctor and work on a cure for cancer or Alzheimer's. We've explained how DNA copies itself and can't do so forever. How the earth couldn't provide resources for everyone if no one ever dies. Gently, but firmly guiding her to other pursuits. But she's not feeling it. Her latest plan is that, if it's not possible in reality, she'll have to appeal to Santa Claus to use his magic to cure death. Which is just a whole new angle to address. What do I do? 
As an atheist, I don't want to give her what I perceive as false hope in some magical happy place we'll all go when we die. Although I have told her we don't know what happens after death, and our atoms will continue and be a part of the universe forever in some form. On the other hand, I love her creativity and drive, and don't want to stifle that with too much cold, brutal truth. What would you say to comfort or redirect a child like this that I haven't already thought of? It's been several months that this has been troubling her, so my hope that this would be a passing phase is dwindling. Okay, we'll start with you, Elizabeth, but can I just say that when I was around the same age, I didn't have any aspirations around like curing death, but I like held on to the belief that I would like live long enough for there to be a cure for death. And so like, I didn't think I'd ever be an organ donor because I don't want them to cut my body up because I want to come back. And I think that speaks to my inability to like, I've gotten better with death, but it took me to be like a woman in my thirties, like to really process death. Like I tried a lot of stuff to not have to deal with the fact that one day I too am going to die. And I feel like that's what I'm hearing from this little one, that this isn't just the idea of losing people, but like that now she's been forced with confronting her own mortality. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with that assessment that to me, this letter reeks of like, I still have questions about death. I have anxiety about death because fundamentally I haven't come to terms with my own death, which is, you know, something as humans that we have to do. And to me, this is talking about death is one of the things like we on the show talk about, like you need to talk to your kids about racism that exists and like how the world works. You need to talk to your kids about sex. You need to talk to your kids about death. It is, it is something, especially in, you know, COVID times is happening, but it also is happening all the time in many different ways. And I think the problem is that it's something that when you're talking to your kids, you're fundamentally talking about like, at some point, one of us is going to leave the other one. And that is a really uncomfortable conversation to have. But I also think that like death is all around us in literature, in movies, in nature. And these are, there are opportunities here that in the same ways to have these very like, compassionate and honest conversations about death. Now, I do think if you feel like this is going on for a a long time and that you have had all of these kind of conversations and done the things we're talking about, this is absolutely a reason to bring in a professional and go talk to a counselor about what's happening. Because clearly your your child is trying to process something and your job as the adult in their life is to try to help them process this. And I, I think that's, you know, by acknowledging that everyone dies at some point. But I, I also feel like here focusing on the fact that she wants to cure death is kind of the wrong thing because eventually reality will set in that you can't cure death. So that's one of the things to me that doesn't need to be corrected. Like you don't always need to be the person being like, well, you can't cure death. You can't cure death. I think what you can say is that it's really sad when someone dies and it's, it's, you know, that is really hard. I have a hard time with it. I think you can explain facts about death. A lot of times we kind of sugarcoat things around death and say like, well, she passed on or she they left us or the dog went, you know, here, like whatever that whatever language you're using. And for kids, that can be really confusing. And so I think talking about the fact that in death, the body stops working is important to just to understand kind of that fact and give language to that. And I'm not saying you should have these conversations all the time, but there are plenty of opportunities to process this. If you're doing any kind of like read alouds with kids, I know I've had really great conversations both when reading Charlotte's Web and Harry Potter about death and about, you know, my kids asking like, well, are they going to come back? And it's like, well, they're they're not going to come back in the same way they were here before, right? Because like in Harry Potter, we've got Dumbledore comes back and is a presence for Harry, right? But those sort of things being able to process with them that way that like, yeah, but they're not going to be here, like on earth again. And understanding that that's kind of the 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 part of life. I think if you have spiritual views about death, this is a, a, you're welcome to share them. But I also, I think this parent is really looking like, we don't have those. Do I need to share them? It's like, n- no, you can be really factual about what, about what death 
means. And I think also letting your child know that it is something that makes you sad as well. Like so often our kids don't know, you know, that it's something that happens and that you've experienced it. We talk a lot about my grandparents who have passed. There's still like a presence in our kind of storytelling. Like I have their memories and it's sad, but it's also happy. Like explaining that and giving them language for that. But I I think the bigger thing here is that not to make it something that she can't talk about because I think this exploring of curing all death is her trying to process Um, Like Jamila said, her own death and also maybe the eventual death, it sounds like, of her grandfather and maybe just the things she's seeing going on around them. I don't know. I think you have to have the hard conversations. uh, Amon, what do you think? Okay, so I'm still learning here. Uh, And I, I, I find a lot of value in like what you said, but I would have inclined to just play along for as long as I can until I have to have that conversation. I don't know. I'm not going to like talk to my kid and make them think that there's like the tooth fairy or anything like that. But if they come to me and they say, hey, I believe in the tooth fairy. This is very real for me. I'm going to try and meet them in their world and and try to enter into their world rather than try and yank them out of it. I mean, six years old is really young. I I, I don't have a six year old. I have a two month old. But I I still feel like when he does get to that age, I'm going to try and prevent myself from centering his story around mine as much as possible. And so in that case, that would mean I wouldn't want to bring him into my world where I'm still I'm struggling with the idea of dying. I'm worried about my my own parents and his grandparents or my dog. If if they want to create a cure and and you know and solve these big grandiose problems, I think maybe help them with it, you know, and, and try and see how far their imagination will go. Maybe that'll set you up for failure down the line when they eventually discover there is no real cure. I'm inclined to think you you handle those problems as they come, but if they're going to you know, want to play with Legos because they want to build something as big as the Empire State Building. I won't sit there and say, well, son, you can't do that, obviously. (laughs) You know, I would say, let's do it. That sounds like a lot of fun. But that's just me. I don't know. That is one of many approaches to parenthood. You know, there are times, and I think there are times where we pick and choose. Like, do I tell you that this goal is unreasonable or do I allow you to dream bigger than, you know, reality? I... I'm torn because like I, you know, as I've discussed on the show before, particularly we talked about my daughter becoming, you know, a big Selena fan that I struggle with death. And it's not something that I really want to spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about or talking about. I do have a spiritual practice and a concept of ancestors that has given me a lot of comfort and something that I have shared with Naima, but in the absence of someone having that sort of framework, I think about, you know, that disclosure, like, is it worth it to crush your little dreams now? Or should I just let you feel like this thing is possible? And I just think that there could be the seedling of, I have this desire to end or alleviate human suffering. And thus I could be guided toward a career in Mm -hmm. medicine, right? I do think that for somebody who is profoundly, because there are kids that find out that people die and are really curious about that in a different way. They want to see pictures of it or they wonder if it's cool or fun or, you know, like that their curiosity is not, immediately okay i want to stop this train this this is a bad thing that happens right they don't see death as a you know as terrifying or as you know depressing as your child does even though i think it's a pretty common reaction to you know not be excited at the idea of one day having to leave here but i think that like i wouldn't completely break away from the idea of it, uh, of saying, hey, you know, you can't cure death, but what you can do is make death less common under certain circumstances, right? Like with research around these things, you know, everyone is going to die. Ideally, you get to live a long and healthy life. So if we can attack some of the reasons that people don't get to live long, healthy lives, then, you know, we get to enjoy their company longer, right? Like, it, I, I think that if you want to channel her energy into something productive that you could have that conversation, you know, but I think that you have to either choose that realistic take on it or saying, you know, death is not something that can be cured. Unfortunately, and this is something we have to make peace with. And it is something that I, as your parent also hate 
also perhaps fear a bit. And and we have to acknowledge that things are unpleasant, right? The world, like there are things in the world that are un- that are unpleasant. Uh, life is uncomfortable, and that there's an instinct a lot of people have to like protect their children from all from any discomfort that they can, you know. But like. I asked myself, like, will this hurt more in the long run? And I just think about, like, playing at the idea of curing death for a couple of years, only to have that taken away from you, you know what I mean? Like, might be more traumatic than having to just simply deal with what is at this moment, right? Particularly considering that she will not cure the death of her grandparent, you know, who who may pass away before she's old enough to really kind of be at peace with this sort of stuff. So... I think this is just a, you know, unfortunately, this is a time for uncomfortable conversation and and letting your daughter know that, like, there are a lot of really great things about life and there are a lot of things that really suck. And this is one of the ones that really sucks. And you may not wish to try and put a positive spin on it. You know, you can just talk about the cycle of life and the, the magic of birth that every day new babies are born and that life continues on. But the, the sadness and the feels that you're going to have to deal with when this person passes away are going to be real. And I think that knowing your child's kind of capacity for concern around death now, I would lean into dealing with what is at this point, as opposed to perhaps delaying the inevitable. I think that's, it's very well said. And I, I agree with you that it's the conversation about death has to happen because you don't get to control when your kid, you know, has to face that reality. You don't get to control when you have to face that reality. And it it feels like this is the time for a, a lot of hugs and warm drinks and, and leaning into the uncomfortableness and saying, like, I'm uncomfortable with this, too. Yeah. I'm so afraid of having that kind of conversation. So it, my instinct to to punt it further might be my own fears with having to to confront that reality on a child. You know, my parents weren't very honest with me about like the realities of the world. You know, they, they, they wanted to protect us from the dangerous streets that we grew up on in Jersey City in the 90s, but they did so by telling us, if you talk to a stranger once, they're going to kidnap you and, you know, it's going to be like this whole catastrophe. And, and, but, you know, that instilled in me a lot of fear of strangers until one day I discovered that that wasn't true and that, and, and I sort of held it over... It got in the way between me and my mother's relationship for a long time. And it wasn't until I got older and I learned about, like, the level of crime in the neighborhood that I grew up in or, like, the crack epidemic and how that hit Jersey City pretty hard. It wasn't until I learned about all these other issues where I started to understand where she was coming from. Mm. So I think you you have to take into account where your child's coming from in the sense where, like you said, Elizabeth, are they trying to reckon with... The, the inevitable loss of you as a parent or, you know, the, is it something more playful? Uh, but at the same time, I think there is a, a level of truth that you can expose to someone without giving them the whole shebang, right? You don't have to explain to them that, like, <laughs> as an atheist, life is meaningless and we all just turn right. to dust and the sun's going to explode. <laughs> you don't have to take it that far. You could just say something as simple as, you know, um, death is real. You're going to die. I'm going to die. That's why we have to make sure we have as much fun. And that's why it's so important that you eat your vegetables so that you don't die sooner. I don't know. I obviously don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, that was like perfect. See, now and now it's recorded. You just play it for them when the moment comes. Right. Or I'll just call you and be like, well, Elizabeth can yeah. explain this better than I can. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Well, letter writer, thank you so much for sharing this with us and entrusting us to weigh in. If you are listening and you have a parenting conundrum and you want to share it with mom and dad are fighting, please do send it to mom and dad at slate.com or leave it on the slate parenting Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for slate parenting. All right. We're going to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance— 
Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And let's get back to the show. And now we have our next listener question being read once again by Shasha. Hi, Mom and Dad. How do you deal with family members who just have zero concept of boundaries? This has been an ongoing issue with my parents, specifically my mom. She has done things like shown my graphic birth videos of my children to people I hardly know, lied about it, and then finally caved and just said it's because she's proud. They blatantly disrespect our parenting style, make comments about how we don't need more kids, and always ask how much we make and how much we are spending. Recently, when they found out that we looked at a house in a different city, they lashed out and said things like, I guess we'll just stay out of your lives since that's clearly what you want. Honestly, I'm exhausted. I've tried to talk to them about it, but then I find out from others that they are gossiping about me and saying that I'm a nasty person and that all I care about is boundaries this and boundaries that. They're not bad people. And once upon a time, we had a really great relationship. But the codependency is real. They are, however, great grandparents to my four kids, so I don't want to completely sour the relationship, which is where we've ended up in the past when I wouldn't give them details about things or when I try to limit contact. Ideally, I'd like to help them see how enmeshed we are and possibly work on it if they're open to it. But I know that it's got to be a two-way street. Can you help me navigate this? Boy, oh boy, this is my kind of question. Juicy. Amen. What do you think? I think they got to they gotta be real with their parents. I mean, these are adults that we're talking about. I don't know if they should be held with kids' gloves. I'm, I'm totally okay with sitting my mom and dad down and just being like, look, if this is going to work, we got to start doing it this way. But I don't know what your relationship is with your parents. I don't know if that's going to sour something that's going great. But I think as a parent, you have to maintain control. And if you lose control, you, you really don't know what's next. And, and that stability can really get crazy. I, I save my two months of experience. You know, my mom wanted to basically take my, my son to the pool when he was just born. And uh, she was like, well, all of his cousins are going to be there. This is a great opportunity for them to meet. They're going to have pizza, all this stuff. I'm like, no, it's not. A, it's not going to happen. Uh, B, we'll, we'll, we'll introduce him to the other babies when, they're, when we think it's ready. And, and if, obviously, she's going to feel a certain type of way about it. But as long as I'm in control, as long as, as, the, as the parent, I get to make the decision, then I'm more than happy. More than happy. I, I don't know if we need to make sure everybody's on board with your decisions, as long as they're your decisions. Yeah, I letter writer, I think somehow you've become confused about what your role is. Like, at some point, you're not, I mean, you're still their child, but you are now an adult and you have to make rules for your own family. And I, I don't know, Jamil, if you feel this way, but like we get a lot of these kind of mm-hmm. letters. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking what happened that like, I understand it's hard to talk to your parents as an adult, but this, the funny thing that struck me about this letter is they're like talking about how their parents can't seem to set the boundaries. And I feel like, no, 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 boundaries are things that you set for uh, and enforce for other people coming into your space. It's not something that they're supposed to know. Like they're doing what they want to do. It's your job to say like, this doesn't work for our family. I specifically think here, well, one, Amon, you're absolutely right. If you can just sit down and talk to your parents like that, that's what you should do, right? Like, and, and the, I believe that the more you do that and the more you have those conversations and they can be done in a, in a kind, compassionate way, you know, the the more that you grow that relationship of like, I'm also an adult. And now we have this new relationship of like adult parent to adult child. But I also think like, you can't control their actions. So, you know, if you shared this birth video with your mother, or she got it, you can't do anything about her sharing it out there. What you have to do is think about the things that I pass on into their hands 
what are they going to do with it? And what do I then want to pass on? How do I want to set up these these situations? You know, if you want them to still be great grandparents, have them take the kids for a weekend and be cool with whatever happened. Set up a weekly time in which there's still these great grandparents. You can do that without sharing all this information. And I think when they say things to you like, you know, it's disrespectful that you're moving out of the neighborhood or you're doing this, you can just say, we are looking at this house for these reasons. And when we, you know, when we make a decision and we think it's time to involve you, we will. Like, those are the things you have to put into place. But then don't you get cranky about, like, if you have a bad interaction with your mom over one of these conversations, don't then, like, cancel the next grandparent thing. Show up at the next grandparent thing and be an adult, right? Like, be there for your as your kids' parents to have a good time because these relationships are two-way streets. And it sounds like you're going to have to take a little bit of this, like, you may have to take a little bit of your mom saying like, you shouldn't have more kids. She can't stop you from having more kids. If you want to have more kids, have more kids. And if she says it, you can say that hurts my feelings. But I think also you have to expect that she's going to say some of that. And you're going to take a little bit of that to have this good relationship with your parents. And enforcing those boundaries means saying like, I this opinion, you know, one, I'm going to bitch about this to my spouse or my partner or my friend, but that this, you know, do I need to then not have these conversations with my mom? And if they come up, then we just shut them down and say, you know, we've talked about it. I can't have these. Or am I able to just take some of this and say like, okay, mom, and then turn around and call your sister and be like, mom's crazy. You know, like whatever that looks like, figure out what that is and, and, and enforce that boundary. But these are things you have to do, not things you can expect your mom to do. Absolutely. I think on some level, some of what you're describing are just grandparents. <laughs> like people who can be really obnoxious and entitled to not only your child's time, but like access to the decision-making process around child rearing, because at one point they were the president of that. And it is a hard fall. To- <laughs> Other place, apparently, where, you know, you may have some influence, but you are not a decision maker. But I think that also I agree with everything that Eamon and Elizabeth have said. I would just add, think about your language choices when you're trying to Mm. assert boundaries. For example, I don't gather that your parents are the proper audience for phrases like asserting boundaries. You know, like there are just some languages doesn't work for some people. Like if that's not not, like they don't talk like if they don't say things like enmeshed, then I would not use that language when engaging with them because it can come off as pretentious and it can be intimidating to somebody who perhaps doesn't understand the nuance of what boundary setting really is, which to some people, it just sounds like what you literally think of when you think of a boundary, like something in between me and you or something in between me and a place I feel like I belong, where it's like by creating this boundary, I'm creating a more stable foundation for this family, you know, in which you can contribute to my parenting. You know, you can influence my parenting style and you can weigh in with your thoughts around certain things, but it's within these boundaries. You know, it is not boundless. That just isn't the way you want to explain it to them. You know, I think you need to talk about feelings, right? If they, if what they're expressing to their folks, and I'm, your parents could also just be jackasses, you know, like that happens too, <laughs> right? But, but if they're telling people, you know, it, it sounds that like the gossiping about you sounds petty in the way that somebody who is hurt or offended may be petty, you know, as opposed to, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, as opposed to just being nasty or malicious. And so- Talk about your feelings. When you ask me how much I make, I feel as though you're saying you don't think I can take care of my household responsibilities. Or I feel like, you know, and maybe that's not what you're saying, but that is what it feels like to me. And be prepared to hear, you know, when you say you're setting boundaries or when you say you're going to move to another city, I am hearing you don't want to be nearby. I mean, like, As somebody who lives on the other side of the country from her family, 
I am surprised they have not killed me yet because what a betrayal, <laughs> what a cruel thing that I have done, you know, to all these people who love me that I have removed myself, you know, for I've moved further and further away from home, you know, my since, since going off to college and like the idea of you doing that with this new baby for them, you know, maybe not that far away, but still the idea of you not being where you are now may feel hurtful and, and and whether it's not something for them to take personally, it's something certainly for them to be sad about. Yeah. One thing I want to add and, and everything that you just said in Jamila was on point, but one thing I, th- I think we need to also consider is that like as a parent, and this is something I haven't really digested for myself yet either, is that as a parent, we aren't the only ones raising our kids. In the sense where everything they watch on TV is going to have an influence. Every time they go play in the park with other kids, they're going to, that's going to have an influence. Their grandparents are going to have their own influence. So I think we need to also humble ourselves in the sense that we don't really have full control over every single thing that's out in the world. Yeah, that vi- them sharing the video is uncalled for. That's like, all right, we can, we can set the boundary there. But if it's about you know, other things like them wanting to teach their kid in a certain way or, or instill certain values in the, in the kid in a certain way. Their grandparents, that's their right. So I think there needs to be a certain level of uh, relinquishing control. You know, as much as it's our job as the parents to set the lines and set the boundaries, we also need to understand that we're not the only ones with a stake in this kid's life. I think that's a really good perspective too, especially because this specific letter writer it seems like you still want that and and there is going to be a giving up of some of your own own things right and and that's a healthy boundary can be like allowing them more leeway in some areas than than not in others so i think that's a a really important thing to realize too like this is all happening because they care they care about your kids and they care about you yeah, my, uh, my, my, I'm not going to name names. Somebody close to my, somebody <laughs> close to my life tried to feed my baby uh, a date when they were one day old. You know, she like brought it to the hospital and like that was what she yeah. wanted to do. And, and, and I was like, get that thing away from my baby. You have to get that thing away from my baby. Like something like that where I thought it was like, okay, baby's at risk here. Yeah. And she was like, no, it's fine. This happened to me when I was a baby. We do this all over, <laughs> all over, all the time in Egypt. I'm like, what? Not here. Not nah. right now. <laughs> no. <laughs> is there, is there something else we could share instead? Maybe. <laughs> Let's try something Perhaps else. a prayer yeah. would yeah. be sweeter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perhaps not solid foods. Yeah. But. I think, I think her plan was to chew it for the baby and like feed it to her like a mama bird. And I was sure. like, no, no, we're not doing that. No, not today. Oh not my today. gosh. That's funny. Letter writer, thank you so much for sharing your conundrum with us. I hope that we were helpful. And one last time, if you have a parenting challenge that you'd like for us to consider, please send us a letter, an email to slate.com or leave it for us on the Slate's Parenting Facebook page. Before we get out of here, let's do some recommendations. Elizabeth, let's start with you. What are you recommending this week? I am recommending something for a problem that I didn't really know we had until we like started school, which is that getting all the kids like their teeth brushed before. So when we homeschooled, you know, we could just like teeth brush whenever it was like, all right, we'll have breakfast and we'll go back upstairs. Well, teeth brush turns out this is like a major burden for getting everyone out the door in the morning. But we got these Quip Kids electric toothbrushes and they have a little built in timer. I got them at Target. I think they're like $25. And um, I just keep them in the downstairs bathroom and they're like our morning teeth brushing. So like the, we don't have to like go to another location. All the kids can kind of do it on their own. Normally I'm like assisting at night and this has just made things like so much easier to just get a second toothbrush just for this. And one they can do by themselves and I still feel like is, is doing a pretty good job. So the Quip Kids electric toothbrush. Nice, Elizabeth. Okay. Amen. What about you? What are you recommending? So at the very beginning, when our baby was born, we had some people, close friends, because it is a pandemic, but people that we trust who we knew who were vaccinated, we gave them permission to come and like visit the newborn and, and say hi and like take pictures. And so we were thinking, what on earth can we get as like, you know, p- not party favors, but like little gifts, a little takeaways yeah. that they can take. And we mulled over making some things from scratch or making cards, homemade stuff. And uh, my wife came up with the ingenious idea of getting one of those Instamax Polaroid cameras and just getting a whole bunch of frames 
that are the exact same size. So every time anybody came, they got to take a picture home framed of them holding the baby. And it's like a little tiny three inch picture. And it's awesome, you know, and, and sometimes we go and visit some family who have visited often. So they have a couple and they have them all laid out like in their kitchen table or wherever in their hallway. And it's just really, really nice and thoughtful. Everybody that's gotten one of those pictures so far, it really cherishes it. And it was just a genius way to, to make something that's like super personal and, and portable. And, you know, it's just it's just everybody loves it. That is an amazing idea. Oh, they're so and sweet. It's just like, because that's what everybody wants, right? Like they came to see the baby and they get to take home. It's like Six Flags. You go down the, the water ride and you get a little picture and you get to go home it, with it. I mm-hmm. know. And you get the picture. That's a genius idea. That's, that's great. That's brilliant. That's all anyone has ever <laughs> yeah. wanted, honestly. Pictures of them with the baby. Like, that's my favorite thing ever is pictures of myself with Me babies. Too. All babies. Any, any baby. baby. So I am recommending an eight fitness. There are these twin sisters, Danielle and Dominique, and they do these dance-based cardio workout classes on YouTube. And they're so much fun. They've got Doja Cat and Megan Thee Stallion and Armani. And like, they're just the twins. They're just like adorable and cute. And like, if you're not a great dancer, I think that like for this to be kind of like high intensity cardio, like that this is very accessible and like easy to do and a lot of fun. So if you're like me, like I need my workout routine to be fun. Like I really struggle to drag myself to the mat. Like if I'm going to be doing something that's just physically challenging um, and they're just bubbly and fun and, you know, I've mentioned many times on here that I am a fan of twerk adjacent fitness stuff. So don't go in there expecting to learn to like Lindy hop or whatever Dan does, but um, (laughs) yes, super fun. So, and eight fitness, uh, follow them on YouTube and Instagram and all that good stuff. And, and the number eight. That sounds really fun. I forgot about that. I just like took a look at my arms and they turned to spaghetti. Eamon's like, what is fitness? Who has time? People do that. That's why the baby gets heavier. <laughs> it's it takes time. It takes a long True. time. True. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I could do squats. squats. You will. You will carrying them around at night. All of you that. Can do fitness. Squats. You, can do <laughs> you don't have to worry about fitness for another. Yeah. And when I get when I get better, I, I like yeah. I can do like the pizza toss where I just like throw them in the air. Yeah, and catch exactly. Them. When they get more when their necks get more uh you know, able to hold their own <laughs> heads up. Yeah. Oh poor Musa. Poor Musa. Ah, no. Lucky Musa. A lucky little baby. (laughs) Lucky little sweetheart. All right. Well, that is our show for the week. Thank you so much and welcome, Eamon. I I hope we weren't too tough on you in your first official episode sitting in for Dan. I know I'm not Dan, but I'm trying my hardest, you guys. It's it's a low bar. We're so excited to have you. It's a low bar. (laughs) Just kidding, Dan. We miss you. Psych. No. I live to troll Dan. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And one last time, if you have a parenting question, shoot it on over to momanddadislate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Morgan Flannery for Elizabeth Newcamp and Eamon Ismael. I'm Jimmy Lillemue. Thank you for listening. 